You may well have heard of Joseph Kramer. He was the camp commandant at the Belsen concentration camp when it was liberated by the Allies on the 15th of April 1945. And if you have heard of him, then you will almost certainly have heard that he was a depraved sadist who delighted in killing thousands of his victims. Why else would he have been called the Beast of Belsen? Let's look a little more closely. Joseph Kramer left school at 14, did an apprenticeship to be an electrician, but then was largely unemployed until he joined the German prison service in 1934. He served at Auschwitz, and then on the 1st of December 1944, he was transferred to Belsen as the camp commandant. Belsen, it should be clearly understood, was not an extermination camp like Auschwitz. It was a camp for those out of favour with the German authorities, Ordinary criminals, of course, but also Jews, Gypsies, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so on. Initially, it was not a bad camp. There were bathhouses and swings for children to play on, and the food was reasonable. Marika Frank Abrams was a 19-year-old Jewish woman from Hungary, and was transferred to Belsen from Auschwitz in 1944. Years later, she recalled of her arrival at Belsen, we were each given two blankets and a dish. There was running water and latrines. We were given food that was edible, and we didn't have to stand for hours to be counted. The conditions were so superior to Auschwitz, we felt we were practically in a sanatorium. Kramer took up his responsibilities on the 1st of December, and the previously good conditions rapidly faded and by the time the British entered the camp on the 15th of April 1945, conditions were indescribably bad. There were some 40,000 prisoners in the camp, a camp which had been designed to hold 14,000, and that did not include 10,000 bodies which lay unburied. Food was in short supply, and given that people were dying from malnutrition and starvation, this had clearly been the case for some time. To their disgust, the arriving British troops soon discovered a well-stocked food store at a Panzer Troop School, about three kilometres from the camp, which held inter alia 600 tonnes of potatoes, 120 tonnes of tinned meat, and 30 tonnes of sugar. Had that food been issued to the prisoners at Belsen at the appropriate time, the impact would have been dramatic. But Kramer had not issued that food, and indeed, he had not even asked that it be issued. There was no supply of water, and consequently sanitation was absent. Unsurprisingly, disease was rampant. Cholera, dysentery, TB. And to make matters worse, if that were possible, typhus had been introduced into the camp some weeks previously. All these factors contributed to significant numbers of people dying, in February 1945, deaths were 60 a day, and in March that had risen to 250. By the time the British arrived, it was 800. When Kramer showed the new British commandant around the camp, his attitude to this scene of desperation was said to be callous and indifferent, and this made the troops angry. The scene was described by many witnesses as chaotic. Keeping any semblance of order in this chaos was near impossible. 
Guards were forbidden to touch prisoners, not for the benefit of the prisoners, but that of the guards. The prisoners were covered in lice and were also likely to be carrying one or more diseases. Any physical contact with them was likely to spread that disease to the guards. Deprived of access to non-lethal methods of enforcing compliance with their instructions, the guards would resort to shooting, albeit often on the slightest pretext. The British had no difficulty in deciding that a war crime had been committed. The most obvious defendant would be the man who had been in charge of the camp, its commandant, Joseph Kramer. Indeed, one might even think that without a prosecution of Kramer, there would have been no point in prosecuting any other member of the staff at Belson. That was the scene as the British saw it. Let us now look at it from Kramer's point of view. In December 1944, he had become the commandant of a broadly acceptable camp, and remember that there were over a thousand concentration camps in Germany, very few of which gave rise to war crimes trials. But then two new factors came into play. The Germans were being pushed westwards by the advancing Russians, and as they retreated they were sending large numbers of prisoners from the camps in the east to those in the west. This put great pressure on the receiving camps. And the second was that the SS High Command had designated Belsen as a camp for the sick, and were sending to it sick prisoners taken from other camps. As a consequence of these decisions, the numbers of prisoners arriving at Belsen increased dramatically, to the point where the camp very rapidly became overcrowded. The new arrivals came on foot, by lorry and by rail, at all times of the day and night, and often without warning. Kramer, of course, had no right to refuse any of them. He recognised that the camp was grossly under-equipped for the number of prisoners he was expected to accommodate, and he wrote to his boss, General Richard Glucks, on the 1st of March, asking for immediate assistance. The letter was effectively ignored. Conditions continued to deteriorate, and deaths increased. The military supply system did not increase its deliveries of food to accommodate the new arrivals. Kramer was aware of the food store at the Panzer Troop School, but it was designated for the use of Panzer Troops, and he did not have the authority to demand food from it, just as the storeman did not have authority to issue it to him. If an issue had been made, both would have been guilty of a serious military crime, why then even ask when he knew it was the storeman's duty to refuse? He did, however, try to purchase food locally from private contractors, but he was unsuccessful. This may have been because either there was little food available, or the funds he had been allocated for discretionary expenditure were inadequate. For many months, the British and Americans had been subjecting Germany to a merciless and steadily intensifying bombing campaign their targets being not only entire cities, but also railway marshalling yards, bridges and locomotives. These attacks had caused widespread disruption and chaos, as the Allies had intended. The bakery supplying bread to the camp had been hit and was out of action, and the railway system was severely dislocated. The journeys which some of the prisoners arriving at the camp had had to endure were often horrific. Journeys which in peacetime would take five hours took five days. It has been estimated that on some transports up to 30% of those arriving at Belsen were dead before they could reach the camp, and the state of the remainder can only be imagined. Kramer, of course, 
was not responsible for any of this. Kramer was aware of the threat posed by air raids, and he knew that there was a possibility that the electricity could be cut off. If that happened, the electrically driven water pumps supplying the camp with water would fail, and in these circumstances there would be no water. As a precaution, he therefore ordered the construction of three concrete tanks and had them filled with water. The supply of electricity did then fail, quite possibly because of an Allied bombing raid on Hanover, and the water supply to the camp also failed. But, unfortunately, the tanks had not been properly guarded, and the water had become heavily contaminated. One of the tanks had a dead body in it. There was within the camp a hospital, but the facilities were primitive, and about the only medication available was aspirin. He asked for more, but a train said to be bringing medical supplies to the camp was bombed. He had only one doctor on his staff, Fritz Klein, and he had no authority to obtain more. Kramer had the opportunity of running away before the British arrived. Many of his men did so, and if he had been so minded, he might easily have managed to disappear from history. But he stayed, and he is said to have been the only commandant of a major concentration camp to have done so. This suggests that he thought he had nothing to fear from the British. General Klukes, by contrast, committed suicide. And then he was put on trial. He said that he had done his best for those in the camp. Now we can all accept from the results that what he had done was woefully inadequate. But what should he have done? A clue to the answer might exist in what the British actually did. When they took over the camp, they put in charge as commandant Lieutenant Colonel Richard Taylor, two ranks higher than Kramer, and to advise the new commandant on medical matters, they sent in the second most senior doctor in the British Second Army, Brigadier Hugh Glyn Hughes, who was then Deputy Director of Medical Services. Kramer had on his staff only one junior doctor, Fritz Klein, to help him. Colonel Taylor had under his command about 100 men from a casualty clearing station, plus some men from a field ambulance unit, and supplies of all sorts were not long in arriving. Within 24 hours he had available to him 27 water bowsers, initially put to use bringing water from a river, and sufficient vehicles to tow them. Kramer, by contrast, had three water bowsers, but all his vehicles had broken down. Food was delivered so that a reasonable meal could be made available on the evening of the 16th. Taylor's forces were supplemented on the 2nd of May by the arrival of 98 medical students, flown in specially from London. Later, and after the 8th of May, when the war in Europe ended, another 3,000 troops arrived and were put to work building a 7,000-bed hospital, the largest in Europe, and this was staffed by, amongst other, German doctors and nurses deployed for the purpose. That was the scale of the problem. Huge. Could the Germans have done all this? Possibly. But that was not the question before the court. Could Kramer have done it? He was the man on trial. His solicitor told the court, When the curtain finally rings down on the stage, Joseph Kramer will, in my submission, stand forth not as the beast of Belson, but as the scapegoat of Belson. 
The judges found Kramer guilty of the charge of being a member of a conspiracy to ill-treat Allied prisoners at Belsen and causing the deaths of eight of them, and of the parallel charge relating to Auschwitz. He was sentenced to death and was hanged on the 13th of December 1945. But was he a pleasant fellow? Being a pleasant fellow, of course, is not proof or even an indication of innocence, just as being callous and indifferent does not prove or indicate guilt. But, just for the record, Colonel T. M. Backhouse, the prosecutor in the trials, thought that he was. In an interview with the Daily Mail in February 1946, he said that Kramer was an extremely pleasant fellow, and went on to say that he was about the only one of the 43 prisoners against whom no individual act of cruelty was proved. Did the court make the right decision? You must form your own view.